I am currently on my comeback from an injury. I uh, was working out too much. I do boot camp, and it's been something I've been doing for the past 12 years. I love doing it, but I injured a tendon in my uh, arm. So my trainer has me using a weighted vest <sighs> to do everything. Burpees with a weighted vest. Yeah, kind of hard. But the whole point is do the workout with the weighted vest, and when you take it off, because I can't use my arm, uh, doing a burpee without the weighted vest is super easy. So when I was training to climb Mount Kilimanjaro back in 2013, I did the same thing. Trained with a weighted vest. When you take it off, man, that exercise gets easier. See, I believe shame kind of acts like that in our life. We all experience shame. All of us have either shamed someone or we have heard shame on you. Amen? Yes. So we're walking around this, the shame is like this weighted vest. And God is inviting us to shed this weight, this heaviness of shame, so that we can run the race he's called us to. The race with endurance. It is hard to run a race, do this thing called life, with a whole bunch of weight. Like, it's heavy. Life is hard enough. I don't need to be weighed down by things that God intended for me to unpack all along the way. See, I wish I would have known this seven years ago. Okay? See, just because I'm up here at this pulpit, on the, at this podium, on this stage, doesn't mean I'm exempt from shame. I still deal with shame today. See, the difference is I know how to shed it. I know how to become shame resilient. So let me properly introduce myself. My name is Irene, and I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, recovering from alcohol addiction, codependency, and I'm an adult child of family dysfunction. Yes. I can say that boldly now without shame. But back in 2012, when Jimmy and I launched our church called I-5 City, I didn't know that I could admit out loud that I was struggling and that I wasn't okay. I thought I had to have superwoman uh, cape on at all times, be all things to all people. So codependent, I was worried about everyone in the church trying to be everybody's savior instead of Jesus, working myself to death, resenting everyone in the church. I was called to serve, but I was working myself so hard. I was killing myself. I was in what I would call shame city at that point in my life. I had all this stuff, undealt with issues from my past. I had shame from sexual abuse in my childhood coming up. I was having flashbacks. I didn't know what to do with these things. All I knew was that it was impacting me. Like, I couldn't sleep. It was impacting my relationships. But I had no tools. Then this thing called life happens and grief. How many of you have lost someone? Lost someone. We all have. Lost a job lost a friendship. All of us have experienced grief. Betrayal. I didn't know how to deal with betrayal, but it's a part of life. I just had no tools to cope. 
I was miserable in my marriage, didn't know that the dysfunction of my childhood follows you into marriage. Imagine that. Yeah, you bring all your baggage from your childhood, all your baggage into your marriage. And if you don't know how to recognize it, oh, it's recognizing you. And you behave out of it. And it was dysfunctional then, it's dysfunctional now. And you're wondering why you're miserable. See, I had everything I had prayed for, the house, the car, ministry, family, but it was stressing me out. How many of y'all have prayed for something, God gives it to you, and then it stresses you out, and you're like, what have I done? (laughs) But I felt guilty about that. I felt shame that I could not handle life and the stresses of life. So I reached for something to cope with, and it happened to be alcohol. I didn't, like... It it, it was subtle until it was urgent, this addiction thing. See, I didn't know anything about addiction. I didn't know people like me, a pastor's wife, a mom, could become addicted to alcohol. See, I didn't drink all through my 20s. I had abused it in my early days, introduced at 10 years old to alcohol. But in my early 30s, when we reintroduced it back into our life, man, that thing felt good. That first margarita, glass of wine relief from all this pain that was happening on the inside of me, all this shame about my life and that I couldn't handle it. And sure enough, in a six-year period of time, I slid down the slippery slope of addiction. It's subtle until it's urgent. I fell victim to what the Apostle Paul warns us about in Romans 12. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Romans, the same scripture in the message version says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. See, and here's the deal. I fit into it without even thinking. What's the big deal about a glass of wine, right? Jesus made water into wine, but here's the deal. The apostle Paul goes on to say in the scripture that we have the freedom to do anything, but not everything is beneficial to us. Especially when it ensnares us and we become enslaved to it. It's not beneficial. I didn't wake up in the morning and say, hey, pick me. I want to be an alcoholic, wreck my family, cause pain and trauma in my precious children. It doesn't happen that way. It crept up on me and I didn't see it coming. Dependency increased like glass of wine with dinner, and then suddenly I'm hiding vodka and water bottles. Like, I didn't wake up in the morning and decide this. I started isolating slowly over time, hiding in shame about how much I needed this thing to alleviate the pain. Jimmy, Jimmy and I argued all the time about it, so then I would have to drink at that because I was stressed. He gave me an ultimatum said, if you don't go to rehab, I'm done. I'm walking away from this marriage. I'm like, more shame. I'm ruining our ministry, our church. I'm going to hurt people. I'm a people pleaser. I, can't eat. I couldn't deal with that. I can't go to rehab. I hit rock bottom, y'all. And see, the beautiful thing is, rock bottom was the foundation that I built the rest of my life. So I am grateful for rock bottom. 
And I want to encourage someone in this room or somebody watching online, you may be thinking, oh my gosh, I am so not where she is. You know, just so addiction, alcohol is just not my thing. I'm not addicted to anything in my life. I get it. I'm, I'm an extreme situation and a little dramatic. But I just want to give you something to think about. Could it be that something in your life is out of moderation? You're using it to take you somewhere emotionally. And without knowing it, you could be starting to rationalize your behavior. You could be slipping down the slippery slope of addiction because you're like, people can't get addicted to, um, you know, I don't know, gaming or a thing, right? No. Addiction can be to a person, a place, or a thing. Anything out of moderation. Martha syndrome happens in church. I was serving, like, and everybody at the church was happy, but my marriage was falling apart. See, we got to look at these things. See, recovery, when I hit rock bottom, someone in this room is going to hear this message and go, oh, my gosh. I don't have to let hit rock bottom like Irene. I can listen to what God is saying through this message, and the bottom can come up to me. Yeah. See, recovery is not a bad word to me anymore. When I was in rehab, yeah, it felt bad. Felt like it was the worst thing that ever happened to me, but now I realize that recovery just means a return to a natural state of health mind, or strength? Who wants to get back to God's original intent for health, mind, or strength? The action or process of regaining possession or control of something that was lost or stolen. We've all lost something. Something's been stolen from you, whether it's your innocence, your mindsets. Something has been stolen from you. We all need to recover from something. Say recovery is not a bad word. If we look at Hebrews 1 through 2, I believe the author is telling us. He's using the word us and the word we throughout the scripture. Let us lay aside every weight of sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We all have hurts, hangups, and habits. I'm going to read some. Think about it. Don't nudge your neighbor. This is a moment to focus on yourself. Okay? We all have hurts. We all have hangups. We all have habits. And let's see if something comes up for you, okay? Hurts are things like grief, betrayal, divorce, trauma, hangups. Are things like um, perfectionism, anger, unforgiveness eating disorders, striving and achievement, body image issues, self-esteem issues, negative self-talk, distorted thinking, we think all or nothing, catastrophizing, awfulizing, oh, it's the worst case situation every time something happens in life. Or maybe we're one-upping and one-downing. We either play the victim role or we act like we're better than everybody else. That's a hang-up. Holds us back from being the best version of ourselves. And then habits. We all know about the habits because everybody wants to focus on that. 
oh, recovery's just for those people, the addicts who are addicted to porn or, um, or substances like drugs. And you think the person in the room who went to get surgery on their pinky toe decided they were gonna become addicted to the, the oxy? They didn't make a decision, it happened. And they couldn't stop on their own. It can happen to any of us. Food, my husband was 420 pounds. He used food to addiction level. He's 266 pounds now, six foot three. My handsome chocolate man. Mm. It's like a honeymoon all over again, it's awesome. Y'all getting free is a good thing, oh yeah. Shopping, gaming, phones, Instagram. We can get addicted to anything that's out of moderation. So here, if we really got honest, is there something in your life, is it work, that you are neglecting God, your relationship with God, your family, your marriage, because you're using that person, place, or thing? And see, God wants us to remove the weight of the shame that comes along with it. Because when you think about it and you think about that issue you're dealing with, what comes up? Shame. You don't feel good about it. But the scripture here says, is suggesting that we should take off weight of shame that is holding us back. We should leave it at the feet of Jesus. Throw it off because it hinders us. It entangles us, it ensnares us, and we become a master to it. We can become a master to shame. It's the biggest enemy of loving ourselves. And it's the biggest enemy of allowing others to love us. Because we don't feel good about ourselves, so we don't let people in. And then we don't let God in. It impacts our relationship with God. See, shame says, I am a mistake. I'm fundamentally flawed. God made a mistake when he was making me. Something is wrong with me. I'm broken beyond fixing. Guilt says I did something wrong. Shame says I am that. It's inward. And that's what makes it the most powerful emotion. Because inwardly, we are believing something about us that is not true. It's a lie. We become our own worst critic. We have an overly harsh inner critic. It attacks the essence of who we believe we are. It impacts our self-esteem, the way we relate to people, in our relationships, the way we view people, the way we view God, because we never feel like we're enough. It puts a lid on our relationship with God. And if, if you leave out here these, out of these doors with anything today, my prayer is that lid would come off in your relationship with God. See, I had toxic shame written on my medical file. Shame can become toxic and affect your mental health. It can affect your, uh, you can become anxious and depressed. Then you reach for something to cope with the pain. We're all susceptible to shame impacting us because we go into fight, flight, or freeze when we experience the emotion of shame. Did you know that? Our limbic system gets activated. It was meant as a survival tool, this emotion of shame. But what we do with it is it 
we stay in it. And so then we're in fight, flight, or freeze, and our nervous system is on overload. No wonder we reach for something to numb the pain. But here's the good news. We can reframe our shame. And what's powerful about reframing is that it means just seeing something from a different point of view. Just seeing something uh, uh, from a different point of view to adjust our mindset from something negative to something positive. So not allowing the thing that happened to us to define us, but my brokenness is actually the thing that I can reframe and look at as something that I, am, I have learned from. We can reframe our shame to problem solve, think constructively, make better decisions. Our experiences don't, we don't have to be defeated by them. We can learn from them. So when we change our mindset and we reframe our shame and our thinking, our behavior changes. So I'm gonna leave you with three things. Three things that when you focus on these three things, you can reframe your shame. Number one, we're gonna, we gotta focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Everybody say focus on Jesus. It says looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We've gotta focus on him. How many of you know when your kid is getting a shot and they see the needle coming and they start freaking out, screaming? My daughter was one of those, my oldest. She literally would freak out. We'd have to hold her legs down. She, and I would have to tell her, Kayla, focus on mommy. Look at mommy. And I'd have to distract her, like patting her, because she's, if she focuses on the needle, it causes her to have a panic attack, right? See, the scripture is telling us, stop focusing on the needle, the pain, the hurt, the hurts, the hangups, the habits. Focus on Jesus. And then we will feel something shift inside of us. So that's the first move, focusing on Jesus. I remember when shame was attacking me and I was in rehab and they're taking my belt, they're taking my shoelaces. They're, I mean, shame. I'm toxic shame. I didn't want to live anymore. The church would be better off without me. Jimmy and the kids, better off without me. That's where shame had taken me. But then I got to my room and I had my Bible with me. And I flipped it open. How many of you do that? You know where you flip open the Bible, you're like, Lord, speak to me. And it's like, okay, something's going to pop out of these pages and like resonate with my spirit. So I did one of those. And it's like my focus shifted from the selfishness of addiction, which is me, 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 God, I am so bad off. I feel shame. I am useless. I'm not enough. It shifted to God. Romans 8, 28 that he can turn all things around for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. He can take all my yuck from my past and turn it around. When I, Psalm 27 was my favorite one. It said, I'm confident I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Yeah. Psalm 23, yea, though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death and I felt like I was dying, I will fear no evil. The word of God woke up my spirit man, and my focus went from being selfish to being on the Savior. See, Jesus has already been there, done that. He's experienced shame on the cross. He was whipped for our transgressions, stripped, experienced pain and humiliation. But he tells us, if you focus on me, Psalm 34, 5, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. What a promise.
So focus on Jesus. Number two, we got to focus on forgiveness. The Bible says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we have this issue with forgiving ourselves. But did you know that if we don't forgive ourselves and we don't forgive others, how is God going to forgive us? And did you know that we're actually cheapening the work of the cross? Because we're saying, oh, God can't forgive me. So you mean to tell me he sent his only son to die and suffer? And you can't accept that grace? That's cheapening the work of the cross. God, forgive us. That's pride, if you ask me. But when we admit our weaknesses, when we say what um, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is all you need, my power works best in weakness. When we admit our weakness and we say, God, you know what? I'm going to focus on you, but forgive me for my compulsion towards alcohol. Forgive me for hurting my kids. Forgive me for lying about alcohol. Forgive me for DMing that person and my spouse not knowing and I'm hiding it. Forgive me for thinking that I can handle this life and take on all the problems of, 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 of my church as if these people in our church belong to me. They belong to you, Jesus. You're the one that heals. You're Savior. God, forgive me. Spending that time focusing on forgiveness, admitting that we are weak. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say, so now I can boast. Now I can boast because of the power of Christ at work in me. I'm not boasting on Irene when I say six years, ten months sober. I'm, I'm boasting on Jesus. He did this thing. I can't do this thing without him. And I won't do it without his Holy Spirit. So I will admit my weakness because his strength and his power is perfected when I say I am weak. See, God knows the whole story of your, our lives, guys. From beginning to the end, he's the author and the finisher. He will erase parts of our story, cross some sections out. Are you willing to surrender it to him and say, you know what, God, I admit that thing happened. I did it. I hurt other people. I hurt you. God, forgive me. I receive your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. See, he highlights certain parts of our story at certain parts of our lives. Guess why? It's time to deal with it before it deals with you. And that was me in my early 30s, y'all. Shame was coming up, and it dealt with me because I wouldn't deal with it. So we've got to focus on Jesus, focus on forgiveness, and believe that Isaiah 61, 7 says, instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Everybody say double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double, lots of double, double, double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. Do you notice the scripture? Like we're Psalm 34, 5, like joy. He says he speaks joy over us instead of shame. He doesn't want us to carry this shame around. We can change the trajectory of the rest of our lives if we learn to accept the grace of God and his forgiveness. So number three, we got to focus on freedom. Everybody say freedom. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and summited with Cindy Zello of Teen Challenge. Yes, from Fredericksburg, Virginia. Yes, she is here. She's amazing, my hero. 
And uh, we, the summit of uh, this incredibly high mountain, the top of uh, Africa, as they call it, um, the peak is called Uhuru. It's the Swahili word for freedom. Can you believe that? So good. God is so amazing. So in 2013, here I am climbing this mountain with Cindy Zello. I'm detoxing from alcohol. Don't even know it because I don't know anything about addiction. All I knew is that I was preoccupied by the fact that I couldn't drink. How can I drink in front of the lady that runs a, a recovery center, right? God is funny. Sense of humor. But I remember climbing that, summiting that mountain. Freedom is at the top. And there was 50% less oxygen. It's freezing cold, below freezing. We start at midnight. I'm exhausted. We've been climbing for four days now, hiking for four days now. 50% less oxygen. I have um, altitude sickness, so my, everybody has bubble guts. Everybody know what bubble guts is? be a dangerous thing. It gets messy. It wasn't for me, I have to say, but for some people it did. They were cutting their underwear off on the side of the mountain. <laughs> Pretty gross. This mountain experience reminds me of recovery. It can be gross, disgusting, painful, lonely. I felt completely alone climbing that mountain. And there wasn't anything anybody could say to make me feel better in my misery at the time. My water and my camelback froze. I, the guy that we were assigned a one-on-one -on -one guide to help us climb that mountain because they knew at that point in the climb, summiting, we were gonna need the help. And I remember Cindy Zello saying, Irene, I've done this before. I'm like, Cindy, I can't do this because I kept going fast trying to get up the mountain as if that was gonna help. It was just making me sick. They were like one foot in front of the other respect the mountain respect the mountain of recovery in front of you it's gonna be hard but we do hard things that's what Cindy Zello told me she said place your foot where I place mine because I've been there done that place your foot where I place mine see when we focus on Jesus we step where he steps we're focused on one step at a time we're not getting overwhelmed or future tripping about all the what-ifs that could happen in the future. We come into our present moment and we just look at one step at a time. And in Swahili, the guide and, and Cindy Zello would say, pole, pole, slowly, slowly in Swahili. So I wanna encourage you today, slowly, slowly, pole, pole, one step at a time. Your freedom is coming if you are willing to do the work. If you are willing to focus on Jesus and not on yourself and your selfish, selfishness of your issues. But you focus on forgiveness and your family members, my children have forgiven me, my husband has forgiven me. Why? Because I have put one foot in front of the other slowly but surely and done the work of recovery. I went to rehab, I got brave, I reached out for help. Yes, this church has tons of help and resources available to you. I got in counseling. I got in marriage counseling. I went to EMDR. I did all kinds of therapy. There's so many resources out here. Get into the book, Reframe Your Shame. I talk about all of the resources and tools. Don't, when I was here last time, so many people messaged me. So many people got free. 
from their issues of addiction. Yes, that deserves a hand clap. In this church, people got free. He's a miracle working God. Yes, thank you. Thank you. He is a miracle working God. And he's, he's here to free you today. If you're willing to slowly, slowly focus on him and work towards your freedom, get in a small group, fight the good fight of faith. Genesis 50, 20 says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. What if in your mouth, what if in your testimony is freedom for the next generation? freedom for someone you love. They're going to put their foot in the place where you stepped and they're going to follow you as you followed Jesus. So we got to do the work. Your greatest pain can become your greatest ministry if you allow God. Because whom the sun sets free is free what? Indeed. Everybody stand with me. So I want to pray for you, and I want to read this scripture over you. Whenever the enemy wants to remind you of your guilt and shame and the things you've done, I want you to tell him when, it, when it, this scripture right here just encourages me. Whenever our hearts make us feel guilty and remind us of our failures, we know that God is much greater and more merciful than our conscience. And he knows everything there is to know about us. He already knows. He knows what you're struggling with. Everyone has a hurt, hang up, or habit. If you have a hurt, hang up or have it. Raise your hands to Jesus right now. I want to pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, God, we surrender to you, your will, your way. God, we surrender our sin and our shame to you. We thank you that you, by you dying on the cross, you have reframed our shame. You literally have turned it around for good to the point where you're seated at the right hand of the Father and we can be restored, healed, forgiven and spend eternity with you now because of what you have done for us. So God, we focus on you. Give us the strength to pole pole, work out this program of recovery, growing in small groups, in community, in church, growing in our relationship with you. And God, anything that's holding us back from the fullness of a relationship with you, we ask that you remove it, take the lid off, because we want to worship you in spirit and in truth. So we focus on you. We forgive ourselves, and we walk in freedom today because you said we're free. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Love you, church. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Feel free to rate, review, and share with a friend. If you'd like to find out how you can get involved or partner with us financially, visit lifepoint.org or download the LifePoint app. Thank you for your generosity. We can do so much more together than we ever could apart. See you soon.